Hello, everyone. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Elena Resnick. Dr. Resnick is an assistant professor of clinical ophthalmology at USC Roski Eye Institute. She grew up in Southern California, graduating with highest honors from UCLA and received her medical degree from Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Resnick completed her internship in internal medicine and residency in ophthalmology at UC Davis Medical Center, then received additional subspecialty training in glaucoma at UCLA's Jules, Eye, Jules Stein Eye Institute. Her glaucoma research at USC focuses on the development of novel uh, surgical techniques and new approaches to patients with early glaucoma. The aim of her research is to investigate the benefit of minimally invasive glaucoma surgery and lowering intraocular pressure. Dr. Resnick also places significant value on volunteer work and giving back to the community and has been involved in organizing ocular disease screening events for local underserved communities. We're very grateful to have you here and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lynn, for a wonderful introduction. Thank you guys for having me. Um, it's really hot outside. <laughs> it's really hot outside, so I'm very grateful for air conditioning. Yay for air conditioning. So I'm a, a subspecialist in glaucoma. That's all I do. I see 100% patients with glaucoma and perform complex cataract surgery. Um, if you have any question about any eye conditions, feel free to come up to me. I can tell you whatever I know about age-related macular degeneration. We can talk about corneal issues, corneal transplant, but my premier focus is actually diseases of the optic nerve and glaucoma in setting of cataracts as well. So what is glaucoma? Does anyone know? I do. 13 years in training to actually learn about one disease, glaucoma. Glaucoma... First of all, I love history. Any of you guys like history? It's, I love it. So for me to understand what's glaucoma, first of all, when I was a young resident, um, I looked up what does glaucoma mean. So glaucoma came from Greek, which is glaucus, and glaucus means blue. So whenever patients develop intractable glaucoma or their eye pressure is not controlled, the cornea, the front portion of the eye, becomes whitish-blue, and the eye looks blue. That's why in olden time it was called glaucoma, because of the appearance of blue eyes. Very often young kids, if they're born with congenital glaucoma and it's not well controlled, they have beautiful, big blue eyes. Unfortunately, there's not much vision there because of glaucoma. So the, the appearance is very interesting and beautiful and really valued in some cultures. It's actually a pathologic condition. So what is glaucoma? Glaucoma is a disease of the optic nerve. Optic nerve is the connection between your eye and the brain. This is the cable for the information. Your eye sees something. For example, I see a beautiful lady right in front of me, and uh, that image is transmitted directly to the brain. If that connection is broken for whatever reason, you can't see. Your eye might be functioning 100%. Your retina is completely healthy. But if that cable is broken, you won't be able to see. Even if your brain is completely intact, you won't be able to see. Glaucoma affects the optic nerve in a particular way. First, the outside of the optic nerve affected, and then the inside. That's why you lose peripheral vision first, and then the central vision. So what do patients feel when they have glaucoma? If it's a garden variety regular glaucoma, you feel nothing. 
You don't even notice that your peripheral vision is lost because you don't use your vision right here, somewhere here. You turn and you can see it there if you need to. And only until the central vision is affected, that's when the patient knows that something is wrong and they go and see an eye doctor. And it's very important to see your eye doctor on a regular basis, even if you don't have any eye conditions, so we can catch something like glaucoma. Does glaucoma happen often? Unfortunately, it does, and that's why I'm a specialist of one eye disease. Glaucoma affects 2% of our patients. If you take every single patient in the United States, every single person that in this room, 2 out of 100 will have glaucoma. And actually, half of those people that have glaucoma, they don't know that they have glaucoma. And they only find out later, later in life, when uh, there is not much that we can do to save the vision. So here's an example of one of my unfortunate patients that came to see me. Um, he was complaining of diminished peripheral vision. So when we did a formal visual field test, not with our fingers, but a formal with a special machine, with a special computer machine, unfortunately, he was not able to see the top half of anything. He could see straight. He could see below. So he could walk up and down the stairs, but he was not able to see anything. This is a formal visual field test that we do in our clinics right here. Black is bad. White is good. In a regular uh, person who doesn't have glaucoma, whose optic nerve is 100% functional, this all will be white. But unfortunately, in this gentleman, part of the visual field was already missing, so we worked very hard on preserving the rest. As I told you, there are no symptoms until it's too late, and usually it's a loss of vision. If the eye pressure is not controlled for a long time, sometimes you might develop eye pain as well as headaches. So if you have any intermittent headaches, it's good to see an eye doctor and make sure that your eye pressure is doing okay. What are the risk factors? Who is more likely to develop glaucoma? Uh, we've done large epidemiologic studies to see which patient populations develop glaucoma and which ones don't. One of the risk factors that we cannot control is age. The more mature and wiser we are, the more likely we to develop glaucoma and more likely for glaucoma to progress. Other risk factors, family history. Your mom, dad, grandparents, your siblings. If any one of those has glaucoma, you have to be checked for glaucoma because it runs in the families. Again, this is the risk factor that we cannot control and uh, because we can choose our parents for good or bad. Uh, central corneal thickness. This is something that I can measure in clinic. When the central corneal thickness, which is the front portion of the eye, when it's thinner than average, so it's too thin, Patients develop glaucoma faster. Why does it happen? No one knows. We think it's just the connective tissue is not strong enough to support the optic nerve, and that's why glaucoma progresses faster. Intraocular pressure. Every time you see your eye doctor, they check your eye pressure. They either check it with a small pan that touches your eye, or they might be checking with the blue light. It has to be checked at every visit. Higher eye pressure has been associated with progression of glaucoma. So for us to treat glaucoma, we'll lower your eye pressure either with surgery, eye drops, or laser treatment. 
race, uh, Baltimore Eye Study has proven that an African-American population, due to genetic, during to, uh, genetic factors, the glaucoma progresses faster, and there is a higher prevalence of glaucoma as well. Also, history of trauma. If you've been hit in the eye or if you've done boxing for fun, either now or when you're younger, unfortunately, the repeat damage to the optic nerve, repeat damage to the outflow channels of the eye can lead to expedited development of glaucoma. And, of course, previous eye surgery. Just think about it as an intervention for the eye that might have influenced the outflow channels. Uh, also, if you are using any kind of medication, for example, for asthma that might have steroid or prednisone in it, very often it's used for asthma or rheumatoid arthritis or for joint problems, you might be at high risk of developing glaucoma. And it develops faster because the eye pressure goes up with the chronic use of steroids or prednisone. You have to be very careful. Every time the patient comes and sees me, they bring a whole list of their medication. And we go through every single medication every single time they see me to make sure there is nothing that can be aggravating their glaucoma. So those are the basic risk factors. Things to pay attention to is age, family history, and eye pressure especially. When we see a patient for um, glaucoma evaluation, for a new patient, the exam is fairly extensive. You'll spend two, three hours with me in the office. Of course, we check your vision, we check your eye pressure. We do a careful exam of your eye from the outside and inside. We will dilate your pupils and take a good look at the optic nerve and at your retina. Also, we'll do a visual field. That's a special computerized test where you see a light. When you see the light, you click the clicker. It's a pretty boring computer game, but uh, it shows me an objective view of your peripheral visual field. Also, with the pictures of the back of the eye, uh, that's called OCT. It's a special ultrasound picture of the eye. It shows me how thick or thin your optic nerve is. From the beginning of the lecture, if you remember, with glaucoma, the optic nerve becomes thinner. So when it's thinner than average, it alerts me to pay more attention as far as glaucoma status in you. Also important to know in the beginning of treatment, because with the treatment for glaucoma, we'll, we'll try to slow the progression of the loss of the optic nerve. And the OCT, or ultrasound picture of the optic nerve, can show it to me. So we do pictures of the optic nerve and peripheral visual field at least every year. Pachymetry, that's the measurement of corneal thickness. As I told before, thinner corneas associated with uh, faster progression in glaucoma. So important for me to have that piece of information at hand. And gonioscopy, it's a special exam with a special uh, lens that allows me to look at the very, very corners of the eye. Because the eye is round, I don't see all, all the corners of the eye with just looking straight at it. So we use special equipment. The examination is fairly extensive on the first visit. Second visits are a little bit shorter, maybe an hour or so, to measure your eye pressure, to dilate your eyes, so forth and so on. But with the first visit, you have to be very patient. So this is more um, examples of the visual field changes in glaucoma. Here are a few of my patients that this is my visual field right here. 
It's completely normal. The black spot right here that you see is our own blind spot. Everyone has blind spot. That's where your optic nerve lives. That's where it sits. Everyone has it. So that's a normal visual field. This is a patient with very early stages of glaucoma. You can see there is something larger here if you compare it to the first one. Then as disease progresses, the inferior visual field test is uh, gone, so patient is not able to see below the middle uh, of his vision, so it's hard for them to go up and down the stairs. And at the very late stages of glaucoma, we have only a small central island left right here, and you're looking at the world like this through a tiny pinhole. Do you guys have any questions? Sure. Please do. Uh, we, we have our table outside. You can obtain all the information. And we have other glaucoma specialists uh, in our practice, total of six surgeons with me. So we'll be able to get you in very quickly. So the question is, sometimes when I walk in the street, I see the shadow um, and I have glaucoma. Does it go away? It's important for you to be evaluated because usually glaucoma doesn't go away. It doesn't come and go. It's there all the time. But when it comes and goes, it can signify the decreased blood flow to your eye, which is extremely important to figure out. Because if there is decreased blood flow to the eye, there might be decreased blood flow to your brain as well. Mm -hmm. You'll need to do a full evaluation to see where it's coming from. Most likely this is not glaucoma because it comes and goes. It's on the outside. Very good question. I always tell my patients you have to eat healthy. So... Uh, lots of green leafy vegetables, less red meat, and exercise three times a week, at least 30 minutes each for cardiovascular exercise. Otherwise, nothing has been proven to uh, improve glaucoma or worsen glaucoma. With um, uh, um, salt intake, there have been studies that if you increase salt intake, it was thought maybe you can increase perfusion to the eye and diminish uh, glaucoma but um, it hasn't been proven at all. So nothing, pretty much. Just eating healthy and exercising. But that's what every, every single doctor will tell you, whether it's a heart doctor, kidney doctor, diabetes doctor, same with the eye doctors. So why does the pressure build up inside the eye? Our own eye produces fluid inside the eye to keep the, the eyeball inflated. Eyeball is a sphere. If there's not enough fluid inside the eye, it becomes a raisin. It goes into little, little um, wrinkles, and you can't see well. So there is always fluid produced inside the eye in everyone. And then the same amount of fluid as produced escapes from the inside of the eye to the outside through the outflow channels. So it's a very fine balance. As much fluid as produced, as much fluid needs to escape at the same time. In glaucoma patients, sometimes too much fluid is produced, and the outflow channels cannot keep up, or outflow channels are damaged, or plugged up by some sort of debris, and the fluid just cannot escape. That's why uh, the pressure builds up. And this is just a schematic of the eye showing it. There are few kinds of glaucoma. You will hear doctors talking about it. There are two major kinds. One is open-angle glaucoma, and angle refers to your outflow channels. So open-angle means your outflow channels are open. And there is also closed-angle glaucoma. That's when the iris closes off your own outflow channels. So there are two different kinds. Depending on 
uh, whether it's open or closed angle glaucoma, the treatment is slightly different. So it's very important to know what kind of glaucoma you have. So if you come up to me and say, oh, I have glaucoma, it doesn't say much to me because I don't know how to treat you. I don't know what kind of glaucoma you have. Again, we can only figure out uh, through evaluation. And feel free to ask your doctor to say, hey, what kind of glaucoma do I have? Is it open or closed? There are um, more rare etiologies of glaucoma, such as inflammatory glaucoma. If you have any inflammation, such as lupus, for example, or rheumatoid arthritis, the eyes become inflamed as well, and you can develop a special inflammatory kind of glaucoma, which is called uveitic glaucoma or uveitis glaucoma. There is also glaucoma that little babies are born with, congenital glaucoma. We treat that kind of glaucoma at uh, Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, and... Um, um, thankfully, it's extremely rare. There is glaucoma associated with trauma, trauma to the eye, traumatic glaucoma. Again, anyone who sustained trauma to the eye should be seen by an eye doctor to make sure they're not developing high pressures. And also, as I mentioned before, the more eye surgeries you have, the higher your chance of developing glaucoma. So what's the treatment for glaucoma? We can lower the pressure with eye drops. Eye drops decrease production of fluid inside the eye. I can perform a laser treatment to increase uh, the number of outflow channels, so just to make sure all the fluid that's produced escapes the eye. Laser therapy is done in clinic. It's a two-minute procedure. It's not painful. Uh, patients pretty much can go back to their normal activities right after the laser within 15, 20 minutes. And surgical therapy. With the surgical therapy, we um, take the patient to the operating room, Surgeries take anywhere between 20 minutes to an hour, and the recovery takes between two weeks to six weeks, depending on the type of the surgery we use. Nowadays, the only risk factor that we can modify or treat for glaucoma to make sure glaucoma doesn't become worse is eye pressure. So all our treatment are the, the they're devoted to decreasing the eye pressure. Whichever way we can do it, drops first, then laser, then incisional surgery. That's all that we can control right now, nowadays. We are working on stem cell research, trying to replenish the optic nerve to give you your vision back. But those studies are still done in animals, so we haven't done any human trials in glaucoma patients as of yet. But hopefully uh, in my lifetime. With the drops, if any of you guys are taking glaucoma drops, you know they're fairly frequent. They're inconvenient to take, but very important to preserve your vision. You take drops usually at least once a day. Some drops you can take two, th two times a day, others three times a day. Very often as glaucoma progresses, I actually prescribe multiple drops. So you have different bottles, and you can continue taking them throughout the day. You take it two, three, four, five, six, eight times. So it's very time-consuming. When you take multiple eye drops, whether they're glaucoma drops or they're for your cataract or for the cornea, you have to make sure you're taking it correctly. You have to shake the bottle, shake, shake, shake. Then <laughs> I see the lady there is doing it absolutely correctly, shaking her bottle right there. So shake your bottle. Then usually if you feel that your hands are not steady, it's better to lay down on the couch, open up your eye, and administer the drop in the inner corner of the eye. Blink a few times and make sure that the drop gets in. Repeat the same procedure with the other eye. If you're taking multiple drops, you have to take five minutes between drops, at least five minutes. If you want to take longer, 10 minutes is fine too, but not less than five minutes. 
to allow the absorption of the uh, drops. So there's a very good question because, as I told you, you have to take the drops so often. Sometimes you develop allergy to the drops. And one of the most common offenders is actually not the medication in the eye drops, but preservatives in the eye drops. That preservative is very irritating and drying for the eye, and some people develop allergy. So the pharmaceutical companies are very smart. They noticed it. And, of course, we don't want to take all patients to surgery if the drops are working for them. And uh, there are formulations available of preservative-free glaucoma drops. Every single class of drops now has a preservative-free analog. Those preservative-free drops usually come in single vials, so you have to use them within a day and throw away. And those vials are tiny, tiny, tiny. They only have one or two drops in them. They're extremely expensive, unfortunately. Uh, The monthly supply for those drops uh, can run anywhere between... $200 $200 to $400, and not all insurances would cover it. We always fight for our patients. We submit preauthorizations form, but they are extremely expensive. So that's why the, non, uh, with the ones with the preservatives are the first line because they're available, insurances cover them, and then if patient develops the allergy, we transition to non-preservative ones, and hopefully insurance agrees to cover it. Correct. So there are some medications that increase the pressure in your eyes. One of the most common ones is prednisolone or prednisone. It's very often taken for inflammatory disorders. If you have an inflammatory disorder and you need prednisone, by any means don't stop taking it. See the eye doctor and see if the prednisone is actually affecting your um, eyesight and your eye pressure. If we need to take the prednisone off, if we need to discontinue, there are other alternatives for inflammatory disorders, the steroid-sparing ones, such as uh, renisumab. There are quite a few of them, and we can talk about those as well. It's very important for all your physicians to work as a team. If you have a rheumatologist who started you on prednisone, please make sure he has all your diagnosis, especially if you have glaucoma, because he might adjust the medication in a different way. Other things, if you have chronic angle closure glaucoma or narrow angle glaucoma, is not taking decongestants. You know those over-the-counter decongestants that are available everywhere, phenylephrine, uh, uh, um, which other ones, uh, Benadryl. They're very common. Quite a few people take them. But if they have uh, chronic angle closure, it can actually close the remaining angle. If they have narrow angles, the angles might get closed by those medications. In that case, the pressure goes up really quickly, and you lose your vision extremely quickly. So on all those allergy uh, pills, there is a warning. If you have glaucoma, don't take it. The only thing they don't tell you if you have primary open angle glaucoma, you can continue taking it. Nothing will happen. It's all about the narrow angle and closed angle glaucoma where it's dangerous. So definitely talk to your eye doctor. Say which drops you're taking, which medications you're taking, which pills you're taking. Even if you think it's something minor over the counter, we would like to know because it might change um, our treatment plan. So, so when you apply the eye drops to your eye, the one eye drops is 50 microliters. It's measured, 50 microliters. You only need 10 microliters for your eye for 100% absorption. So it doesn't matter if you apply it in the center of the eye or the corner, you'll get enough. The pontal occlusion that you're talking about, holding the eye right here, closing up the tear duct. In most patients... I don't need it to, to do it. They get enough drops unless their puncta is really big 
and all the drop escape through it, they have enough time to absorb it without the punctal occlusions. When I see that the patient is not responding to the eye drop, then I ask them to do a punctal occlusion. The reason I don't ask all my patients to do it, because if they're taking four drops and they're going to hold two minutes of pressure here every time, it's around 10 minutes. So you spend your whole day either shaking the drops, uh, laying on the couch, taking them, or holding your puncta. It's kind of no fun. If taking drops is not fun or not convenient, patients stop taking it, so the compliance goes down. Mm-hmm. You will not overdose on those drops. The rest will go out through your puncta or on your cheek. Again, the eye only can absorb 10, um, 10 uh, microliters of the drop, not more than that. So even if you pour an entire bottle and take a shower with your Timolol or uh, prostaglandin, nothing will happen. I did have a patient who was applying his drop into his ear, which was very interesting, but it was not working for him well. So don't apply it to the ear. Eye drops go, go inside the eye. You don't apply it under the tongue either because sometimes patients do it too but, um, because it burns less, but it goes into the eye. And your eye doctor is absolutely correct, the punctal occlusions. I just don't offer it to everyone. It just takes too long. Excellent question. What, was the, what is the normal pressure for each patient? It's actually different. Everything depends on your eye exam. I look at, it at your optic nerve, and then I decide which pressure is safe for you. In the olden days, they would say, with the eye pressure of 20 or above 20, you have glaucoma. It, it no longer holds true. Um, nowadays, I have patients whose pressure is 35, 45, and they have no signs of glaucoma. They just have unique eyes with high pressure, but their eye is able to keep up with it. Other patients have an eye pressure of 10, 12, and they still have glaucoma, and glaucoma is progressing. Those are low-tension or normal-tension glaucoma patients. So it no longer holds true that the eye, certain eye pressure, you have glaucoma, you don't have glaucoma. It's very individual. I think there is one right, right before you right there. Is there a danger of eye pressure getting too low? With the eye drops, getting the pressure too low is almost impossible. Uh, Actually, the eye is able to maintain a certain pressure to keep inflated. With our eye surgery, with a glaucoma surgery, pressure definitely can go too low if we do it too well. So we say the glaucoma surgery works too well when the pressure is low. Unfortunately, with the low eye pressure, there is very little I can do except reversing my own surgery, pretty much closing off the channel I created. Uh, there are no drops that will elevate your eye pressure. Sometimes we try oral prednisone just to see if there will be pressure elevation, but it doesn't work long term. So low pressure is actually more dangerous than the high pressure because with high pressure, I have quite a few things to choose from. Drops, surgery laser with the low pressure, unfortunately not much to choose from. I think there is someone behind you there. So with the surgery, we have a few things to choose from. First is the laser, which is minimally invasive. Uh, we do it in the office, again, mostly for primary open angle glaucoma. And then if that doesn't work, drops don't work, we go to incisional surgery, which is placing a special drain inside the eye. It can be a valve, glaucoma valve, there are a few to choose from. Or it can be without a valve, which is a trabeculectomy, where we just create an opening and cover it with your own skin of the eye. Either one of them has complication profile, such as bleeding inside the eye, retinal detachment, worsening of cataracts if the cataracts are still there. Uh, so we never take the decision lightly. We try everything else before um, offering you a drain. 
uh, and if you have multiple stents already, they've already tried. There is also minimally invasive glaucoma surgery nowadays, quite a few of them. Uh, with minimally invasive, our incisions are smaller, and we do surgery from the inside to the outside. We have quite a few to choose from at uh, USC, I-Stand, Cypass, Zen, um, Trabectome. There are quite a few. Um, depends on the patient which one would be more appropriate for you, and you need to have an evaluation for that. I'm not going to go in each one in detail just because it will take me another two hours. So with premature babies, um, the retina, the back of the eye, doesn't acquire all these blood vessels until the baby is around 36 to 37 weeks um, in the belly of the mommy. Unfortunately, when the kids are born prematurely, they don't have enough time to develop. So their retina is underdeveloped. And when they get to um, neonatal ICU to be taken care of, if they get too much oxygen, the blood vessels start pr proliferating without any control. And that's very dangerous because it can lead to retinal detachment, glaucoma, uh, bleeding inside the eye and loss of vision. So those kids are monitored extremely carefully in the um, neonatal ICU. We actually see them as soon as they're born and every week after because if we see any new blood vessel formation that we don't like or bleeds or leads to retinal detachment, we can actually um, treat it with a laser or surgery. Those kids will require a lifetime follow-up with their eye doctor, first their pediatric ophthalmologist, later on adult ophthalmologist, because they're at a much, much, much higher risk of developing glaucoma and retinal detachment later in life. But I can give you vision back. Whatever you lost, you lost. That's it. I can only stop it from getting worse. So there is no cure. Cure would assume I'm giving you vision back, right? That's right. And if I don't do anything, you lose your, all your vision. So the hope of the treatment was drops, surgery, laser, is to stop the progression. Mm -hmm. oh, I think there's someone in front of you. Sorry. It depends. If it's congenital glaucoma, um, meaning babies, they can get it when they're born. If it's primary open angle glaucoma, the average age of onset is around age 60. But there are also kinds that are young adult glaucomas or teenager glaucomas, and those happen much sooner. But most patients are diagnosed at a later age. And the reason they're diagnosed at a later age, because first of all, they don't notice any symptoms. And usually by that time, they develop cataracts. So they notice their cataracts, not glaucoma, and they just diagnose with glaucoma because they have cataracts. I wish all patients were diagnosed earlier because I can. With the treatment, I can prevent them from losing vision instead of me just preserving a little island of vision they have left. So I would rather see patients extremely early when there are small, small changes than later on. So with the, there is no normal pressure number for glaucoma patients. It depends on individual patient. Because um, even if some patients have pressure above 30, they don't develop glaucoma. And other patients with a pressure of 14, 15, or 12, which is considered lower, they do develop glaucoma. So your eye doctor will be the one deciding what's a good pressure for you. And it will not apply to every single other person or your friends that are sitting next to you. Everyone is extremely individual in that manner. I think you had a question. So refrigerated eye drops have to stay in the refrigerator until they're opened, until the bottle is sealed. 
After that, as soon as you open the bottle, it can actually be at room temperature. But I'm talking about room temperature, not the temperatures that are outside on your patio or in your car. That's not a room temperature. Especially in L.A., it becomes really hot. So those can stay next on your bedstand. Usually you refer to either Zalatan or Travatan, the ones that are refrigerated. Timolol doesn't need refrigeration at all. Once it's open, it can be out of refrigerator, but it needs to stay at an acceptable temperature. Acceptable temperatures that's comfortable for you. Don't leave it behind in the car. Don't leave it on windowsill in the direct sunlight. Best place, because you're probably referring to nighttime drops, either put it next to your toothbrush in the bathroom or uh, next to your bedstand. No bedstand, yeah. If the stroke affected the eye itself, that's the swelling of the retina, that can sometimes be improved with special medications. If the stroke affected your brain, does it go back? Because brain cannot regenerate. In the eye, sometimes it will improve. If you have low eye pressure, the eye can shrink. The, imagine an eye is like a little balloon, right? We keep it inflated with air, it's nice and round. If it deflates, it shrinks. So when the pressure is very low, it shrinks. Sometimes we start uh, steroid drops such as prednisolone and another type of drop, atropine, trying to slow it down. Do you know the reason why your your eye pressure is low? Did you have retinal detachment or retinal detachment? Usually, unfortunately, with retinal detachment, no matter what we do, the eye just shrinks. It stops functioning. Any other questions? Oh, here you go. So when you have blinking lights, it's something with your retina. You need to be seen. Blinking light signifies something pulling on your retina. It can be early signs of retinal tear or retinal detachment. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Those are called after images. When, whenever you have a bright light stimulation, like you go to the store and the lights are extremely bright, you close your eyes, you'll see those um, kaleidoscopic vision type of things. That's normal. So with glaucoma, THC or cannabis does lower the eye pressure. Unfortunately, it only lasts for a few minutes after you ingest it or smoked it or whichever way you take it. And so for eye pressure to remain low on marijuana, you have to either smoke or eat it 24-7. So you have to stay up, not sleep, not go to the bathroom, just continue ingesting it. That's why it's not recommended. Do you know if your glaucoma is well controlled? Do you see a glaucoma doctor? So when you have limited vision in your eye, unfortunately you will notice that sometimes the vision is better, sometimes it's worse, especially brightness. It's a common phenomenon. Um, Not much we can do about it, unfortunately. It's something about the blood perfusion to the eye. We can't control it. The only thing we can control is your eye pressure. So important to keep your appointments, so forth and so on. Everyone gets cataracts, they're like wrinkles. It's a sign of you being wise and mature. Just wait for them to ripen, and uh, your doctor will be able to take them out. Uh, If it's uncomplicated cataract surgery, anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes? It depends on the patient. Some patients, they ripe within 6 months. Others, I have a patient, I just did the cataract surgery for a 106-year-old. He decided he's not going anywhere, so he needed to get rid of his cataracts. So it just depends on the patient. You need an eye exam. As soon as you suffered any head injury, 
facial injury, head injury, you should have a, uh, an eye exam just one time. High blood pressure definitely affects the back of the eye, your retina. You can have uh, problems with your retina, swelling, bleeding in the back of the eye with high blood pressure. You can also suffer strokes from high blood pressure. Strokes can affect the brain. They can affect the eye as well. Very dangerous. So you should be taking care of your blood pressure carefully. See your primary care doctor as many times as needed to get the correct medication on board. I'm not sure... Dr. Kashani had a chance to talk about it with age-related macular degeneration, implanting a special uh, electronic chip that allows you to see shapes, um, sizes, like large, large shapes, large size objects, which is very exciting for us because I think we're onto something, but your eye has to be partially functioning. We still don't have a true bionic eye where all the parts of the eye are man-made, but we're working towards it, hopefully in our lifetime. Uh, usually we try to do artificial tears first and then maybe fish oil supplements uh, to see because most people have minor dry eye. If your dry eye doesn't re- uh, respond to artificial tears, restasis is indicated. I do prescribe it quite some. It's a good medication. Sometimes it does burn with certain patients, but it burns because the eyes are dry. As soon as the dryness of the eye improves, burning goes away. So as soon as restasis start working, if you give it a chance a few weeks, it works really well. So if your dry eyes are that severe, I would encourage you to try restasis. Yeah, good question. So for being legally blind in the state of California, you have to be 2200 in your better eye. So seeing 2200, those are second large letters that you see on the screen, and the other eye should see worse. Also, there is another measurement. You might have a 20-20 vision in both eyes, but it's the peripheral vision. That's when I come in. So when there is a big diminished peripheral vision is lost, you're also legally blind. So if you have a tiny island, which we say 5 to 10 degrees of the peripheral vision left, you are considered legally blind, even if your central vision is 20-20. Any other questions? You guys have been a wonderful crowd. It hasn't been this interactive ever. Thank you so much. And I'll stick around for a few minutes if you guys want to come up and ask any questions one-on-one. If you were too shy to ask in the crowd, feel free to do so. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day. Thank you.